The gospel reading is taken from the book of John, chapter 14, verses 15 through 21. Please stand as we are in the presence of the king. The good news, according to John, if you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. This is the gospel of the Lord. Let's pray. So, Father, I ask that um, the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart may be acceptable in your sight and may edify your people this morning. And I ask this for the sake of Jesus, the Messiah. Amen. <clears throat> Today, in the Anglican tradition, Roman Catholic as well, is Rogation Sunday. Anyone know, anyone ever heard this before, this phrase, term, Rogation Sunday? And it is a time of special prayer and fasting, and in particular, praying and fasting for the harvest. Well, yes. And... Um, it's also a time that many churches, the um, congregation after the service would sort of pr uh, process around the property of the church and ask for God's blessing and God's protection on the community and on the property itself. And uh, that's very appropriate and very fitting because Rogation Sunday, I think, has a very special um, parallel or connection with the text that we just read, because we're talking about place, but place in the context of what we read in John 14, because the chapter begins with a famous verse, Jesus says, don't be afraid. I go to prepare a place for you. And if you continue on with the with next three chapters of the um, farewell discourse of Jesus speaking to his disciples on the eve of his death in the upper room, you might be like me and find it all a bit confusing or a bit hard to understand, something of a mystery. The words are beautiful, but oftentimes it's confusing. And so how do we make sense of this passage or how do we make sense 
of this whole, you might say, farewell discourse? Or how do we make sense of the passage that we just read and which starts, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments? Yes, because we see in the passage a tie, do we not, between love and obedience and life And we might think, oh, this just simply comes to us, right, from the teachings of Jesus in the New Testament. But what I'd like to suggest, and do it ever so briefly, is that if we go back and look at this in the context of the Hebrew Bible, or what we call the Old Testament, we see that what Jesus is talking about, um, telling his disciples and telling us, isn't so new but at the same time is radically new. And so let's go back a moment. Because the Bible does have a, 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 I would say, a very deep appreciation of place, yes, of geography. And uh, our first geography lesson, so to speak, is the Garden of Eden. And we have, you know, almost the coordinates of where the Garden of Eden was located. The Bible wants to point out that it was by this river and in this place, et cetera, et cetera. And so that place, which is a place of blessing and a place of security, where human beings are put in order to prosper and to be in relationship with God, right? That place um, becomes, you might say, closed or off limits once human beings sin. But God's not done with place, yes? He's not done with geographical space because Adam and Eve do not totally bring about an end to God's plan. The next, you might say, phase of the story is when God chooses Abraham. And God chooses Abraham to do what Adam and Eve couldn't do, yes, to be a blessing and to enter into relationship with him. But it's in the context of what? It's in the context of a land. It's in the context of a geographical space. And there is Israel. God chooses Israel, or God elects Israel. And in his election, God brings them into freedom, yes, and he then, gives them a land. He gives them a land. There's a, a space. But this space, just like Adam and Eve and even Abraham and his descendants, comes with conditions. And those conditions are very, or I should say no different than what we read in John's Gospel. So I'd like to just read you one or two. So, very famously, Moses, at the end of his life, in his final sermon to Israel, a little bit like Jesus in his final sermon to his people, he says this, he says, I, see, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love, 
okay, the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to keep his commands and decrees and laws, then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you're entering. Yes. What is the land? The land is, we think of it sometimes as heaven. No, the land is a place of God's blessing, right? The land is given to Israel as a gift so Israel can prosper, so that Israel can live in security and safety. But the land comes with conditions, and those conditions involve love, okay? It involves obedience, and then it involves life. And then it goes on to say, this day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curses. Now choose life that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice, hold fast to the Lord, for the Lord is your life and he will give you many years in the land which he swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, um, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Yeah. So Israel has a choice. The choice is very simply between life and it's between death. And they can live in a place of prosperity, security, as I said, blessing, or they will be expelled or exiled from the land. And we know the story of the Hebrew Bible. It's a story of God's encounters, encounters with his people. And ultimately, there's disobedience and their expulsion from the land, the result being exile. Yes. So we also read in the Hebrew Bible that the land is sensitive, that the land is a place of God's presence, that the land is sensitive to the sin of the people. This we read in Leviticus 18. And that if there is certain type of sin that continues generation after generation, then the land itself spits the people out, sends them into exile. And so God not com only commands obedience, but interestingly enough, he commands love. Now, that might be a strange concept to us as moderns, because we will ask the question, how can God actually command an emotion? How can God tell us how to feel? Well, in actual fact, God isn't telling us how to feel. For example, in the famous Shema that we'll read later, you shall love, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, yes, and all of your soul and all of your might. It's not an option. But again, we say to ourselves, but wait a minute, love is like, is a, is, it's not only an emotion, it's something I have no control over. I fall in love like, you know, someone falls into a ditch, all right? <clears throat> or, you know, love is a, a feeling or a sentiment. It's something that 
comes over me, you know, when I see my two-year-old grandchild. Yes? Or love is at least the highest form of love in our day and age. It's understood to be sexual. It's understood to be erotic. Right? And so we have this notion, especially as modern Christians, well, you know, it's a good idea if I can love the Lord. It's an option. It's a very ideal and praiseworthy option, but it's still an option. And, you know, I will, you know, certainly do my best to, you know, try to come to that, um, to try to come to that understanding, right, of, or try to come to a place where I do, uh, I do love the Lord. But in the Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible, what it means to love, right, is it's a conscious decision. And that conscious decision is very simply, I'm going to be obedient, or I'm going to do those things that please the master. I'm going to do those things that uh, bring glory to God, right? This is an act of service. It is an act of obedience. And uh, this is primarily the understanding. The Bible rarely does command our feelings, rarely, okay? It commands our actions. And so to love the Lord, which is again connected to obedience, which brings life, right? In the Hebrew Bible, it is indeed something we choose. And it again is understood, yes, as service, or it's understood as loyalty. That's why we say the Shema, Shema Israel, because it is an oath of loyalty. And in that oath of loyalty, we're saying, there is only one God, and you are that one God. And we have no other gods. We don't serve any other gods. Yes, and that's what it means to love the Lord. Now, if you think this is, there's no affection, right, um, involved, or it's just mechanical obedience, okay, that would also be a mistake too. Because the Lord, interestingly, Israel goes into exile, also from the same, same part of Deuteronomy. Israel goes into exile because they, Deuteronomy 28, it says, because you did not serve the Lord your God joyfully in the time of prosperity. Meaning it was just some kind of mechanical obedience. There was no joy involved. So why is joy and obedience so essential? It's because basically God, who <clears throat> was good to Israel and has been good to us, yes, does expect a response from us. And the way that we respond is in gratitude or with gratitude, being grateful for what he's done for us, especially in his son, Jesus the Messiah. How do we express that gratitude? Again, through obedience, right? Through be, be, through, by serving him and serving him joyfully. So it's be a mistake to think this is simply 
I have to go through the motions. No, the motions are important, but so too is the right attitude. And so if we understand the Bible, uh, Bible, how the Bible defines love, if we understand how the Bible defines obedience, yes, which is keeping God's commandments and keeping God's decrees, and uh, Deuteronomy oftentimes says, doing it in a way that's careful, not haphazard or sloppy. If we understand that these, these are the very things that bring life, yes, or prosperity, or blessing, then we can change our image of God. Yes, God is no longer an old man up in the sky trying to stop us from having fun and trying to make us miserable. Because twice in Deuteronomy, yes, it tells us that the laws and decrees that God gives to his people are actually good for them, right? They bring about blessing and security and human flourishing, right? So if with that, hopefully with that understanding and with that framework that goes back really from the beginning, can we not better understand the words, the words of Jesus? And those found to us, found for us in John's Gospel. Begin, or at least our passage begins as follows. We may not get past our, our first verse. If you love me, you will obey what I command. But all through the scripture, we actually see that love isn't an option. Love is being commanded. It's being commanded in Deuteronomy and in three gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus quotes the Shema, hear Israel, you shall love, you shall love. And by the way, this is one of the things that made ancient Israel very different than all the other religions of its day. And perhaps, yes, even to our day, yes, is because God commands love. All the gods, that pagan gods or false gods that uh, were, have been served throughout history or worshiped throughout history, including the false gods of our day, don't demand that we love them, right? They demand that we serve them. They demand that we will be enslaved to them. Yes, but love is never mentioned. So, if you love me is not a, an option. Again, even if it's a praiseworthy option. Yes, love is commanded. And Jesus says, if you love me, you, we will do what? We will keep his commandments. Okay. You will obey what I command. And so here we have um, love and obedience so closely connected. And in this connection, what do we find? That love and obedience leads to intimacy, or love and obedience leads to relationship. And in order to maintain that relationship, 
in order to maintain intimacy, there's actually something, yes, that we can and we should, we should do. Now, this opening sentence, Jesus goes on to tell us that he's sending, uh, sending the Spirit. And he says, he says, before long the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you will also live. Now, that's not only about going to heaven, right? And in fact, the whole passage is not just about going to heaven. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. Well, the place is in heaven, or it's in the world to come, but Jesus has prepared a place for us actually in the here and now. And uh, we would be shortchanging God in the gospel, right? And the message, of, um, the message of Jesus, if we simply understand this about something that happens to us after we die. It is something that begins now and continues much more intensified after we go to our reward, yes, to the world to come, to our new heavens and, our, and this new earth. And um, then I'd like to skip to 21, because 21 connects with, helps us to connect with 15. It says, again, whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. So here we have revelation. But in verse 23, which we didn't read, it goes further. It says, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Yes. Here is intimacy, right? Here is life. And again, Jesus is simply taking the paradigm, the pattern that starts in the Garden of Eden and goes all the way to the new heavens and the new earth and reminds us of a truism. And that truism is very simply this, is that blessing or prosperity or ultimate security, actually life itself is bound up in God. But the access to that life, yes, is through love and obedience. We want to be intimate with the Lord. We, want, we say with our mouths we love the Lord. Then we have to ask the question, are we keeping his commandments? Yes. Not just the, the new commandment, but his commandments are we following his teaching? And the reason that we obey his commandments and follow his teaching is not simply for because we want to be disciples. You know, for years I was thinking discipleship is a matter of imitating Jesus. The imitation of Jesus who imitates God This is the bottom line of discipleship. But lately I've just come to see that that's only part of the story. 
the full story is, and that we read in these verses, and we read in the commentary on John's gospel, which is the, the epistles of John. The full story is, is even more than being disciples, we're invited to be participants. We're invited to share, yes, however imperfective, imperfected, imperfective, imperfectively. Sorry. It was a short night. <laughs> We're invited to share in this divine life that Jesus has with the Father and the Father has with the Son. Yes? And how does that happen? It happens through the Holy Spirit. Right? It's participation. But how do we are, what is the, what is the, you might say the entry. Yeah, you can say it's faith. Of course it's faith. But at the same time, it's the, a willingness to be obedient. It's a willingness yes, to pay attention to the teaching and life of Jesus. And for when, when we conform ourselves to that teaching and conform ourselves to his life, that's when we begin to participate. That's when we begin to share. That's where the intimacy kicks in, you might say, at its, at its deepest level, at its very deepest level. And Jesus said, when I go to prepare a place for you, right, that's the place, right? That place is eternal life. But eternal life is nothing more than divine life. Yes, it's life, it's relationship with the Father through the Son that begins now and extends, you know, into eternity. So here's the challenge. Yeah. The challenge is, you know, are we just satisfied with being quote-unquote saved? Right? Are we afraid to come into a place of deeper intimacy and relationship because many are afraid of God. They don't want to get too close, close enough to be spared from the hellfire, but not close enough to fully know his presence. You might say it's as if we, we are happy to leave Egypt, but we really don't want to enter into the promised land. And again, the promised land is a metaphor not for dying and going to heaven, but for something in this world and in this age in which we live. Are we afraid of taking a risk, right? Because, you know, we might have to change. We might have to allow the Holy Spirit to transform us. We might have to get rid of our temper or our anxieties or our addictions or our prejudices. Yes, and I say are because all of this is not written to individuals. It's written to a whole community. It's written to a community that is prepared to abide, prepared to fully trust, prepared to enter in and participate Yes, in the life of the Godhead. And it sounds all very mysterious. It could even be mystical. 
Yes, but this is not some hippie California, you know, mysticism. It is, there is a mystery, but it's also very practical, right? We don't always fully understand it, but we can experience it. And we can experience it, the, the place to begin is by examining ourselves and asking, am I keeping the commands of Jesus? Am I loving the way that he loved? Yes. And am I willing to serve the way that he served? Yes. Am I willing to abide as he asked me to abide? Again, am I willing to trust? And those are hard questions sometimes because we all want to keep our independence or to, to nurse certain sins or dysfunctions that keep us, yes, you know, make us comfortable. And our excuse is, and it's a terrible excuse, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. It's true, we're all sinners, but that doesn't um, excuse us to remain. It doesn't excuse us to um, shun holiness or to uh, refuse to allow God's surgical or pruning work, you might say, in our lives. The next chapter is, yes, the branch and the vine, and all of those, all that doesn't produce fruit is pruned. Um, so God, is, God has gone to prepare a place for us. And I think for all of us who might be struggling with an identity or our identity, a sense of belonging, how to fit in, uh, perhaps into the world in which we live, yes, or I think if we're truly looking for, you might say, the ultimate um, purpose or meaning in life, yeah, we find it in that place, right? That place isn't geographical, although ultimately it will be a new heavens and a new earth. A place is a relationship in the Godhead. But it does depend on our willingness and it's our willingness to be obey. To, it's our willingness to obey, and to obey Jesus, and to obey His commands. First John makes it clear that it's not simply the commands of Jesus, but also God's commands as well. And of course, this raises new questions like, what What are these commandments? But before we can even ask that question, we have to be willing to submit ourselves. Right? To know that God indeed is good, that he wants to give us blessing. Yes, that he wants to enter into relationship with us. Yes, so that we can end up with life. Not just physical life, but that divine life, which is eternal and which is everlasting. And so I'd like to close with, again... The commentary on First John, sorry, the commentary on John's gospel is the epistle, are the epistles of John. So if you something that's not quite, un, not quite filled out in John's gospel, we turn to the epistles. 
And here it says, Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God, and we receive from him anything we ask, because we obey his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command, to believe, which in the Greek here means to trust, to abide, actually to, to be a follower. Yes? Um, in the name of his son, Jesus the Messiah, and to love one another as he commanded us. Those who obey his commands, plural, live in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. And we know it by the spirit he gave us. Amen. So Lord, we pray that you will make us brave and courageous enough and hungry and thirsty enough to desire that intimacy, to find real eternal life, and to understand that, that this is so much more than simply going to heaven when we die. Lord, we pray that uh, you will give us the grace and the desire, Lord, to find life here and now before death. And we pray that uh, we'll find that life in your Son and in relationship with you. And we pray that uh, those blessings will spill over from us into a very needy, yes, and desperate world. And we do ask these things again for the sake of your Son, Jesus, so that we may glorify him and please him as you, as you wish us to do. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.